Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. How could someone put a body in there? How the hell could you do that? In 2004, I was a detective with Missing Persons Unit, along with my guest today, then Detective Senior Constable Kira Olney. But now she's just plain Kira Olney. Uh, We've both rarely shared much about the investigation we're going to talk about today with each other because it's just so painful on so many levels. It was only recently it happened and in today's podcast we talk about our respective recollections about the Mornington monster, John Sharp, and the different things that we remember but also the things that we witnessed together which we will both never forget. You know, sometimes we've got no control over our emotions and it took years for the effects of this investigation to come to the surface for me. But many, many more years later did it hit Kira and it hit her like a brick. And that's what we're talking about today. Police, and in this case detectives, with delayed reactions, delayed shock, Detectives who see humanity at its worst. And while we're trying to stay strong for others, we're struggling to remain strong within ourselves. But sometimes when you think you've put all those emotions away, they come out of nowhere, completely uninvited and unexpected, and they bite you on the backside. Black Salmon Events organised a ticketed event at the State Library last year when we could all be with our friends and actually sit next to each other, uh, where I gave a presentation about the Mornington Monster, John Sharp. And Kira and her sisters, um, a niece and two close friends, came along to support me and the event. I'd often spoken about this case as I found it wasn't just interesting to the audience, but it was cathartic for me as well. And I wanted the public, and I still do, I want the public to appreciate the difficulties that investigators often face. And boy, was this one up there. Any investigation involving a small child takes any investigation to another level, rightly or wrongly, but I think we all get that. So I'd love to welcome my dear friend, Kira Olney, to the microphone. Hello, Kira. Hello, Narelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing in ISO? Yeah, it's wearing thin. It's wearing thin, <laughs> but it's nice to, um, yeah, but like everyone else. But it's nice to talk to you and um, the sun is shining, so 
can't complain. Uh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, it is up here too. So, um, yes, at least we're alive to see it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so you obviously heard my uh, my intro. Yes. And so I thought we might start. So for those who've lived underground and not have heard of this investigation, I thought that between us we might um, share with our audience and give them a brief summary of the case and then uh, I thought you might talk about uh, those recollections that you experienced um, at the Black Salmon event. So I thought... Could we start with you explaining uh, a bit about the role of the Missing Persons Unit within Victoria Police? Yeah, sure. So I think it's changed a little. It's sort of changed from year to year, really. But when we were there, so back in the early 2000s, um, we were basically a team of within the Homicide Squad and we monitored all the reported missing persons in the state. That's... Yeah, that was quite a bit. So we sort of had oversight of any um, missing persons cases that might have been a little bit suspicious or they needed um, the local detectives might have needed a, a hand with some resourcing, that sort of thing. So we received hundreds of reports over the each year and and you obviously get those ones that come in, you think, mm, yeah, there's something, something not quite right here and... Um, a lot of the time you did go on your gut instincts and, um, and you know, things just that stood out um, that, you know, credit cards hadn't been accessed or um, that it took three weeks for the, the person the re- that was reporting the, the missing person missing, um, you know, that was always a, a bit of a um, alarm bells if, if it was a couple of weeks laid, all that sort of stuff. So um, so whenever our analyst um, sort of saw a, a missing persons report that sort of wasn't quite right, then, yeah, we'd have a bit of a powwow and work out whether we needed to sort of take over the investigation or at least make some initial inquiries. So that was when we received this job. It was back in March 2004 and we received a report regarding an unexplained disappearance of Anna Sharp and her 17-month-old daughter, Gracie. So that was um, the start of it, I suppose, yeah. And, and you know, you're right about uh, the gut instincts. It's incredible, isn't it, with all those different jobs that come into the missing persons unit we do all, and I think all of us get that gut feeling that something, sometimes it may not be obvious, but sometimes you just get that gut feeling that something isn't right. And this was certainly up there, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, there were oh, some yeah. alarm bells from the very beginning. But you've got to keep that open mind too, don't you? So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, because it always, it isn't always as it seems, is it? No, no, we've certainly found that out in a lot of the cases that we did. So I remember one that we were, sorry, I'm probably going off track, but I remember one job that we were convinced that um, a son had murdered uh, his mum and, um, yeah, we'd arrested him and lo and behold, uh, yeah, wasn't. She'd actually committed suicide and sort of um, been able to hide her her body in, in an, an old back shed and um, I don't know how many times that shed had been searched, but she sort of concealed her, herself that much that, um, yeah, we, it was an oversight by not only us but also the local detectives and lo and behold, there's a suicide note and as we started working on that, yeah, we realised that it wasn't actually the son that get killed her it's actually a suicide so we had to dust him down and buy him some mcdonald's on your way son yeah. <laughs> i was just gonna say the old mm, do you I, remember that one uh i think i do but i think it's funny when you mm, i do apologize about arresting you and <laughs> taking you back to the station and accusing you of a murder uh yeah so would you like a mcdonald's and a beer with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, God. Um, So with this one, uh, remember when it first came in and there, as as we both said, that that gut instinct, but remember there was a couple of unusual things like, as you said, um, the reporting person wasn't actually John in relation to his wife going missing. It was um, Anna's mum 
And, yep, yep. Yeah, and there was um, uh, remember Anna's mum would ring John looking for Anna, and he kept giving her the the runaround, and and I think we can all appreciate that a mother's intuition. I think we've all learned you never ever underestimate the power of a mother's intuition because Anna's mum, remember how adamant she was that there was something wrong? Yeah. And yep. Yeah, and also uh, John, they'd been married for, oh, I don't know, five years. She was pregnant with their second child. Like it just sort of um, everything appeared sort of uh, nicely tied together. And remember the email that um, Anna's mum got from John and the flowers for her birthday? Oh, yeah. It was so not her. It wasn't her writing. The mum knew that it wasn't her writing the email and it was just, yeah, those things started to add up. They weren't Anna's words. Um, There was no telephone call, which was unusual. So all those sorts of things you start to think, oh, hello, we need to have a look into this. And I think initially the um, New Zealand police sort of thought, oh, well, it's. I think their initial thought was, um, believed sort of John's story that he that she'd gone off with another man, or well, not believed it, but you know thought it considered that it was a possibility. And but it wasn't until the things like the emails and and the flowers for the birthday and no telephone calls that's what sparked the New Zealand police to start thinking, oh, well, we might need to do some checks. So I think they initially did a few checks. Well, they actually did quite a bit of work before it actually came over our way, didn't it? Yeah. And uh, you might explain why New Zealand was involved? Yes. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah. We, um, cause Anna's mum was actually lived in Dunedin. So down South Island and, um, she, well, I think she spoke to Anna regularly almost every day or, you know, if it wasn't a phone call, it'd be an email. So when she stopped, when that stopped, um, and mum kept ringing John, to see where Anna was and, yeah, she, as you said before, she just wasn't getting the right sort of answers and he was just fobbing her off sort of things. So that I think she spoke to her um, priest and he then um, spoke to the police at New Zealand. So um, I can't remember that chap's name, the police officer there, but he was really – he came over in the end. Um, he did. He do was you remember a, his name? No, I don't. Gee, he was a lovely man though. It was, yep, yep. So without his sort of background work and and sort of um, keeping that open mind, I suppose, we, yeah, we wouldn't have been in the position that we were. We were able to sort of act straight away when when that file came to us. So I think it was via Interpol it came. So, yeah, so we started doing a bit more of the checks. I mean, he'd rung taxi companies to try and um, rule out, um, well, John had told him on the phone, I think he had a conversation with John on the phone that Anna had gone off in a taxi and so he'd rung That's all right. the taxi companies in Mornington. Um, then there was, um, I think he'd rung the childcare centre or there was a couple of, yeah, inquiries that he'd done before he'd even put a file together for us. And then when we got it, um, obviously we were able to do checks on the mobile phone and um, – checks on background checks on them and nothing sort of stood out they were what we called clean skins and just you know there was nothing untoward there wasn't even a family violence report on the system or anything like that there was um but once we the phone checks came in which is usually one of the first things that you do was that we noticed that the Anna's phone was still being used and there was money withdrawn from her bank accounts via an atm um so that's when sort of things weren't adding up, and that threw a spanner I in the works for us, didn't it? When um, with the mobile being used, yep. didn't it, and the withdrawing yep. your money because we kept thinking, well, who, who's using it if she isn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. And then um, we got John's statement. Um, I think Keno took that and just, yeah, there was a couple of things that weren't adding up and I think um, that's sort of when he became a, a, a real suspect. Um, but we had nothing else to prove or disprove the affair theory. We didn't have any um, 
you know, there was no CCTV or anything um, from the, the ATMs. There was, um, yeah, but there was obviously questions around why Anna wasn't ringing her mum or, you know, maybe she was having an affair and he, you know, that she was withdrawing the money. So, but I think the TV interview that John did, oh, who would who could forget that TV interview, <laughs> the, the crocodile tears? Never I in wish, my – I think we all said if we – Yeah. Oh, I just think we all said that um, we'd be rich if, for every person that said, oh, God, he's done it for sure. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. he was pleading with Anna to contact him in the crocodile tears and, yeah, everyone was saying he's done it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we had to, we had to get that evidence. Uh, and we didn't have it, did we? We didn't have any evidence to prove or disprove anything. But um, speaking of evidence, but we did get a, a nice little piece of evidence after that uh, interview on the TV, didn't we? <laughs> did we ever? God, we were jumping for joy. It was just, yeah, things, we were just lucky. I think at the end of the day we were re- really lucky when the um, we had the surveillance dogs on him and, yeah, well, do you do you remember um, yeah how we reacted when um, that happened? I will never forget that day as long as I live because just for the listeners and those who haven't heard, um, we did put the UCs, we put the dogs on John, which means that we ju- they're just um, plainclothes police that follow somebody just to see what they're doing or where they're going. And sometimes we generally put the dogs on people because we're hoping, correct me if I'm wrong here, Kira, but we're hoping that they will lead us um, to, I don't know, something, whether it be where the bodies are or where they've hidden something or someone. And it doesn't, would you say generally it doesn't work? Like the dogs don't, would you agree with that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a bit of luck, and we got some, yeah. Oh, did we want? Um, uh, and what we saw was the dogs watched John, and he went down to um, – he drove to a beach, which was about half an hour away from where he lived at Chelsea, and he drove down to the beach, and this was all on video. The dogs had him uh, driving into the car park. He then left the car. He went behind a toilet block, um fossicked around under a bush. He brings out a a white plastic bag and he has a bit of a look around, making sure nobody's watching, and he brings out a mobile phone and then and he makes a call and then he gets something else out of the bag and he puts it in his pocket, he gets in his car and uh, goes up to the bank, withdraws, puts uh, a card in the ATM, withdraws some money goes back to the car, drives it back to the uh, the Chelsea beach, puts the bag all nice and neat back under the bush and drives away and that's when he rang our office. He got back home. This is how I remember it. And he rang our office and he said, I've got some great news. She's just somebody <laughs> has just uh, withdrawn some money from the Chelsea ATM and she's just rung me on her mobile. Will you ever forget? We were doing high fives that day, weren't we? Because we knew we had him, didn't we? Um, Yeah, and you don't get that that often in these sorts of cases. So, yeah, we were certainly doing high fives and, yeah, it was a bit of a breakthrough, that one. It was, but also um, it was also an awful feeling as well because our worst fears were confirmed really because yeah. the, the dogs went back to that um, uh, bag and they found that it was Anna's phone and Anna's card that he had used. So I remember a feeling of dread that day as well, like euphoria in one sense and then dread in the next, you know. Yeah, this is real and our thoughts were, were our fears that, he had actually murdered them. Yeah, we're we're coming to fruition, I suppose. Yeah, but, oh, but mm. yeah. So there was a lot of. I remember there was a lot of discussion around whether we did have enough to arrest him. Um, which we yeah, we certainly built up a, a good circumstantial case. But the problem was that we didn't know where the bodies were. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two with these sorts of ones because. Do we keep the dogs on him? Will he revisit where he's disposed of them? Um, or um, 
have we got enough to just arrest him and will he, you know, the what are the odds of him telling us what he's done? It's just a really tricky one. So I'm, there was all sorts of discussion um, and I think at the end of the day it was decided with the, the video that we had on him and with all the, the background information that we had, yeah, that it was time to arrest him and, and um, see what he had to say. But it's a really – the planning of that, I remember it was extensive or any interview for that sort of thing is you really have to um, cover off on everything. Things like, you know, who's going to be best to interview them, um, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so he was arrested and, yeah, he detailed how he did – murder Anna and Gracie after a long time of saying that he had nothing to say and then and how he disposed of their bodies at the Mornington transfer station. So he was charged with the two murders and, and taken to the watch house for the out of sessions hearing and appeared in the court one the next morning. And I just, it was an absolute media frenzy. I mean, this had been going on for weeks. So I think, think since the Crocodile Tears media um, plea. He he was always on the radar of the. I think it was just about front page news, just about every day. The and media virtually ran the job in the end. Oh, well, uh, towards the end, didn't they? Which um, yeah. is always so dangerous because they get to people before we do, and they can contaminate evidence and do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we had to be really carefully managing that, and I don't think I'd been involved in a job that was such a. Um, attracted such media like I remember when we drove him to court um there was cameras we need in the old garage door that used to drive out of St Kilda Road and that was yep. you know back lane and there was cameras everywhere and there was flashes going and they just wanted a picture of him in the back seat um yep yeah and just you know there was cameras stuck I was in the front seat so um, but there was cameras being stuck through the window sort of thing to try and get a glimpse of him and um, same at when we arrived at the um, watch house and then the next morning at courtroom one, uh, it was just, yeah, absolute media frenzy. And obviously at that time we couldn't give too much detail about um, what had gone on because we still needed to find the bodies. So, um, yeah, so it wasn't over. We It was only really the beginning and that's when we established that from what he told us in the interview that we established that all the, the refuse from the Mornington transfer stations then transferred to the Rockley Stone Waste Management site, it was called, a landfill site. And it was actually at a place called, I'll never forget it because I thought how apt, oh, how ironic, ironic mm. but it, remember it was called Devil's Bend <laughs> at, yes. at Turong. Yeah, I do now. I haven't yeah. thought of that like that. Yeah, Devil's yeah. Bend. You're I just right. thought, oh, how ironic. Yeah. <laughs> and just all the work that went into that, the planning for that, it cost, oh, I can't remember what the final figure was, but not that, you know, you'd spend whatever to, to find the to find the remains of Anna and Gracie, but um, just the planning. But, yeah, so I, I remember, um, thankfully, because of the site, um, because it was asbestos and they had to keep really good records for the EPA sort of factor. So, yeah, again, we were sort of had a bit of luck where they kept records of every load that had come in from different transfer stations and they could basically pinpoint an area of where deliveries from the Mornington transfer station had come. And and then, yeah, obviously that led to the 20-day search. It was 20 days, I remember. And, um, yeah, we found the remains. and But, of course, the first remains that were found by you, my friend, and I will never forget that day. No, oh, God. That you found Anna. No, neither will I. Boy, it's um, ingrained. No. One, one of those things that you, um, oh, there were so many emotions that day. You know, it gives me chills even thinking about it now. It really does. You could almost just, um, not that I would, but, you know, you could almost just burst out crying thinking about um, how um, somebody can be so cruel to somebody else, uh, let alone it being their pregnant wife. It just, you know, defies yeah. You just can't imagine. Yes, no. but anyway, that no. day I had my dear friend with me and, uh, in fact, I think 
there's a photo of you and I, and it is so powerful, and it's a photo of you and I sitting on um, a 44-gallon drum. You know that photo? Yeah, yep. You showed it in your presentation, actually, yep. Yep. Oh, my God, and we both got our head in our hands. It was just, yeah, 20 days of... You know, and remember you're saying that money wasn't an option, but in the end they had to um, make a decision as to when the last day would be because I think it was like something like half a million dollars a day. It was a, yeah, a, it was, a yeah. lot of money. And I yep. found her on the yep. last day, which is even more incredible, but, but we'll go into that um, a bit more later. But, uh, yeah, there wasn't too many detectives that weren't affected that day, was there? No, no, and oh, what was it? Sixteen years ago now, but yeah, you can remember it clear as as if it was yesterday. Yep. Mm. I think um, you've said before that you know the boys that we were working with, and most of them were boy, you know, were homicide detectives. Um, you know, they were hard and they'd seen everything and done everything, but. When it involves a little child and a pregnant lady, any any murder is bad, and you know, let's not forget that. But when when you're looking for a little child in a tip, doesn't get much you know much harder than that, does it? Ah, gee. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so this is when I remember telling that part of the story at, in that um, in my presentation. That's when I remember spotting you in the audience. So you were there with your sister and your niece and your friends. And I'll never forget yep. looking down because you were like virtually in the front row, God love you. <laughs> Talk about support your friend. Um, you're always there um, in the front row. But, you know, a couple of times I looked down. I think it was I- third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fam- family is always first row. Um, but I do remember looking back. And thinking to myself, Kira's got her head down and you just, I don't know, I, I didn't expect you to be up clapping or anything, but I just thought, what is wrong? Like I I couldn't get over, you just looked so sad. And um, anyway, a few days later, we had a chat, didn't we, about the presentation and you mentioned yep. to me that um, I might hand this over to you, but you had a very, very unexpected reaction, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It, it really took me by surprise. And I think um, now that, you know, on reflection, it was probably something that I suppose is I'd sort of pushed, I kept pushing away and, and then for some reason um, my reaction just happened to be, at your at your presentation, and it was, um, it was really weird because I hadn't my um, reaction really surprised me because I'd never had issues talking about this particular case um, or listening to others talk about it. I mean, I'd given a few presentations on the case myself. Um, I'd listened to your podcast. I'd seen the show. I think it was Crime Investigation Australia. Um, I never had any any real dramas talking about it or, or um, you know, listening to it and, and reflecting. So when I when I f- reacted the way I did, it was just it really it really frightened me, I suppose, because I'd never sort of had experienced something like that before. And so I remember um, when you first you, um, when the event was advertised, I think you, you'd give me the heads up. So I'm, all right, yep, I'm going to get some tickets. At that stage, I hadn't even worked out who I was going to ask or whatever. So I just got six tickets um, and I should have got more because there was quite a few of my friends and (laughs) they had to miss out. Even Paul, my husband, had to miss out because um, (laughs) my niece really wanted to go. So, yeah, so Paul missed out coming along. And um, so, yeah, but my niece was really keen to come along um, and I think it was the third row. It wasn't the first row that we sat, but I sat between my sister Sandy and Georgina and I was about five seats in from the aisle and I, I didn't actually know what you were going to be talking about. I thought it was um, going to be something like 
the podcast on, you know, the reasons why you had PTSD or mm. um, you know, something along those lines. So I think it w- was the title just um, Doing Time with Narelle. Was that the title of the <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. I don't know if we uh, – yeah, no, oh, I think it was just called Doing Time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have an idea of what you were going to be um, talking about and not that that would matter anyway. I mean, I still would have – if you had said to me um, prior to that I'm going to talk about uh, the Mornington job, I, I would have certainly said, yep, no worries, I'm coming sort of thing. So, But when you introduced – did the introductions of the case that you were going to be talking about. I that's I suddenly had this wave of it was horrible, like a terrible hot flush. That's the only way I can describe yeah, it. I'm hearing you. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> it was just horrendous and it just I felt like I was suffocating. And so it was all very physical reaction. And you hadn't even started talking about the job. You'd just all you'd said was, I'm going to be talking about the Mornington monster. And so from that moment, and Sandy grabbed my hand and she said, are you going to be okay with that? She must have seen that I was sort of having this sort of, I mean, I think I might have taken off, I had a scarf, I was wearing a scarf, I think I'd taken that off. And um, and I, I tried to s- just let her know, yeah, I'm going to be fine. But I couldn't. I just, no words could come out. I just, I was using all of my strength just to fight back tears and all I could do was nod to say anything I'm going to be fine I'm going to be okay sort of thing but it was just but I couldn't stop one of my leg I remember my left leg was shaking I just could not stop it shaking it was uncontrollable and just your heart I mean my heart I could feel my heart pounding and not in a good way Mm. (laughs) not like I was in love or anything like that Um, (laughs) those days have well and truly passed yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, bring on hot flushes. Anyway, um, yeah. So I just um, just felt like my heart was going to explode, and and I, I just wanted to get out of there. It was just I just wanted to get some fresh air, have a howl or something. But it was just a horrible feeling that because I just didn't have any control over my physical sort of reaction, and I just wanted. I thought if I get out of here, just compose myself. I'll come back in, or, you know, I'll be able to come back in. But I was trying to work out in my head, how the hell am I going to get out of here without making a scene? Um, and I don't think I was even listening to you at this time. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, it was oh. all about me. Um, <laughs> I just, oh, I'm so I just thought, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, uh, I just thought I just can't make a scene. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And I would have had to have climbed over you know, five people to get to the aisle and just, 
I thought, I can't do that. And I don't know how I sort of got, I suppose, control back, but I do remember I kept pushing my cuticles back on my fingernails Mm. and I was um, trying to – I felt like a bit of a druggie actually because I was trying to pick off the fluff off my clothes, but it was imagine, you know, they pick things off – off your clothes or off their skin or whatever. That's what I was doing to try and, I don't know, occupy my mind or, or something. And um, I could hear your voice in the, the background, but it was like I was in another room and it was just the weirdest thing and, and really frightening, to be honest. I'd never experienced anything like that before. So, um, Do you think it was a bit like, say, what they talk about with panic attacks? Do you think that was what it might have been? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'd never had anything like that. So, but yeah, definitely now that you think about it um, and you've listened to other people's, you know, how they've experienced what a panic attack's like, I think it was like that. Um, So, yeah, it was just all very new to me and um, I just couldn't work out why, why then, why, why at that moment when I, you know, had 16 years before that of talking about that job multiple times and, yeah, just it was just really, really quite frightening. And and then I think finally, I don't know how, but I managed to just, um, I suppose, just compose myself a little bit. But then I found myself just nodding when you mentioned something that, you know, so I must have been listening, but I just remember, oh, yeah, I do remember that. And obviously you gave a bit of a warning when you were going to talk about how um, – how they were actually murdered and um, and gave the option for people to leave. Um, but at that time, I thought, well, I knew what was coming. So I sort of, I think by, by that stage, I thought, no, I'm, I'm right to sort of um, just sit there. But, yeah, I don't think um, it was, yeah, something that um, I think it was just something that I'd sort of, I don't know, put in the filing cabinet and all of a sudden the filing cabinet was opened and, yeah. And but so yeah, why, when you why, mentioned do you, the- why do you think it was that time that your filing cabinet opened and not, um, I don't know, when you're giving a presentation or you're listening to the podcast, what was it do you think about that time? Yeah, I've, I've wondered that and I think, I'm not sure whether it was because Sandy hadn't heard much of that job because she was living in Queensland at the time and um, we sort of hadn't um, spoken about it much. I mean, I think Sandy had listened to your podcast, but um, I think the just the fact that um, I didn't have any, I don't know, maybe the control, the loss of control or um, – Although I was putting on a, a f- maybe when I was doing those presentations or whatever, I was putting on a, a front or a, you know, trying to, um, I was being detective mode, whereas this one, I was just audience mode. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, and also, I don't maybe, know. What do you mean? Yeah, well, I was thinking, because we've spoken about this a little bit, and um, I was wondering whether it was because uh, you were trapped that you couldn't get out. Um, whereas when you mm. listen to a podcast or when you um, are giving a presentation, that presentation you've got to remain strong. But with the podcast, it's in your own, you know, in your car or when you're out walking. And if it gets too much, you can just turn it off or if you feel a bit funny or whatever. But on this particular night or day, whenever it was, you were trapped. And I think maybe because your friend was giving the presentation and it was quite an emotional uh, presentation um, about some, uh, something that meant so much to both of us, I just think it was maybe the combination of the fact that it was me telling it that you had been there and you couldn't escape. Yep. And um, I didn't have to put my guard up either because I was sort of um, in the audience and I think, um, yeah, the fact that I could relate to exactly what you were saying um, and there was people around me that obviously, you know, that were close to me and they were hearing it from a different perspective, I think, um, yeah, that's, yeah, I think you might might be spot on there, Nouril. Mm-hmm. 
and should and, be a psychologist. <laughs> and didn't Sandy at one point or one of your sisters um, hold your hand or something at some point and sort of mouthed you, I'm so sorry? Yeah, yeah, towards the end actually. And I think it might have been after you showed the, um, yeah, the, the photo. Oh, yeah. Of us on the barrel. Yeah. That was pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe. Maybe. Oh, we sorry. Should... <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe we should move on. But you're right. That photo, um, I think, oh, dear. I think they should show that photo, the Black Salmon Boys on the, um, uh, on the, site because I think that photo says a thousand words. Oh. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, I just, it it captures. Our hands. Yeah. 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 And it just, um, I think, and as you said before, it, we just couldn't fathom. We were just so, so sad and so gobsmacked that someone could do such an awful thing, evil, evil thing. Uh, to another human being, but let alone your own daughter, uh, just because she didn't fit into his story. That was exactly that was the only reason yeah. he murdered Gracie because he didn't know what to do. With she that. did not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just think, oh, we just could not fathom that, so, and that we're in this tip, this awful, what a horrible, horrible place to be. You know, your last place to be and so thank god we found them well thank you thank god you found them um just so that they could be taken away from that horrible place because it was awful it was a horrible horrible place to it be was, wasn't it? yeah yeah it was so, windy uh, it was raining it was wet it was cold we had on these red oh that yeah anyway i, I was going to go on with something there but i wanted to talk about um uh, that we've spoken in depth, obviously, um, just over the past month or so about this to prepare for today. And I just think it's interesting that some of the things that you remembered uh, that I wasn't aware of and I'd just forgotten about. Um, can you tell us a few of those memories that we were um, oh, sort of laughing about the other day? <laughs> yeah, we should have pressed record on that day. Yeah, it was, <laughs> we should um, shouldn't we? <laughs> just those little things, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, just little things. Um I mean obviously there was the things that you spoke about in your presentation, but the lead up to the um the, the timing, the right timing of the arrest which I mentioned before. I just remember that was prominent for me. Um and I think in the end because of the way our, our teams were made up, um, you know, we had we complemented each other's skills, I suppose. But in the end, it was decided that um, that Ken Owen and Rocky would do the do the interview, and I was I was secretly relieved because I mean I obviously wasn't as experienced as as Rocky and Ken O, but I I think and we we went with them. We just I think. The f having a female on the interview was counted out quite early because it would be counterproductive because of the way what the intel that we gathered on on John and um, so that was early days that it wouldn't be a female on the interview team thank God because I just don't know how I would have not only I think um, I was not experienced with those sorts of jobs at that time I don't think but I don't think I would have coped with the pressure of trying to find where the bodies were and to get a positive result and then just but to stay professional I just don't think I would have been able to to do it and then and then to see that interview with Rocky and Keno I just oh my god they it, it was just I don't know how they did it and then when I mean, they had daughters themselves how they contained themselves and just stuck to the task and managed to engage with John Sharp to um to get him to a point where he actually started saying where he, how he, how he killed Anna and Gracie, and where he disposed of the bodies. Um, but we did talk about how the plan didn't work at first because John was saying nothing. Um, so we had to revert to Plan B, which was 
Uh, yeah, it was actually um, one of the things that I I um, won't forget because it wasn't um, the most, uh, what would I say, enjoyable task. But I, on the day of the arrest, um, John's parents, Valerie and, and Miles, um, I mean, obviously we'd, we'd been to their house because that's where John was staying. We'd executed a search warrant, so it was all pretty horrible for them. Um, but they were desperate to to come in and follow us in um, and they wanted to make sure he was okay. And But I had to sit with them in that. You remember that little couch in the foyer of the homicide squad? Oh, there was that little, yes. as you came out of the lifts and there was that, tiny room that led into so everyone's walking through it and there's this tiny two-seater couch yeah that's right. and that was all the only place we could um put them because they were i mean they were freaking out um but we had to try and i suppose get them on side to make them see that this is real john this is what we think john's done and we need we need to find where he's buried well, how he's disposed of the bodies. And because the couch was so small, so Val, Valerie and Miles are sitting on the couch and I ended up sitting on the um, arm of the couch trying to engage with them. It was not... Um, not conducive, was it? It was No. No. Um, yeah, in, in hindsight, we should have, yeah, planned that a little bit better. But anyway, we had walk, people walking past and, and sometimes you can... You, we can engage in that sort of situation. You're able to engage with people easier than others. And I, I was finding it very difficult to engage with them, but I had to really keep them um, on side, I suppose, to try and convince them that um, this is what we believe's happened, but we need we need to know where the bodies are sort of thing. And um, But, yeah, I always – I'll never forget Valerie had brought in a sandwich for John, she was worried that he wasn't eating, and I tried to assure her that you know we'd offer him refreshments and um, that sort of thing. And um, that she brought in this sandwich. It was like a school lunch order. It had, um, I think it might have been a peanut butter sandwich. I'll never forget this. Oh, yeah. grow up, John. Peanut butter sandwich. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. With um, in the brown paper bag, um, and. And a little serviette folded in a triangle. So I just – and she she wanted to give it to him. And I just thought, oh, God. Anyway, and that was at the stage where we weren't getting anywhere with yeah. with John. So um, – and that we had a bit of a powwow. And, yeah, the sandwich became sort of, okay, well, you can go and give him the sandwich, but can you have a chat to him? <laughs> and – it was a big risk, but yeah, it paid off. I know what I would have done with the sandwich, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So she um, he had his sandwich and um, had a chat to mum and dad, and yeah, after that, um, Rocky and Keno went back in, and he's that's when he started saying what had actually happened. And do you remember that that room behind the interview rooms that? Um, where the cameras were, so it was sort of it was set up so that the um, the interviews could be recorded, but you could have a view yes. view the interview, yeah. um, and it was all audio, hooked up with audio and all that sort of thing, so you could watch the interview real life. But yeah, it was like a TV show, really, wasn't it? It was like SVU or something. Yep. With yep. Yeah. So, but it was a long, narrow room, and it just had audio equipment, and I think it was like uses a bit of a storeroom as well, and. Um, it was a long, I think that it was a couple of chairs in there, but, and usually when you had interviews, you know, that, um, the team might be watching the interview, but that day it was standing room only, wasn't it? It oh, was yeah. just jam packed. There was, yep. yeah, people popping in and out, lots of bosses wanting to know, you know, has he fessed up yet? Has he fessed up? Um, and yeah, but when we, we were watching it and to hear him, the way he um, spoke about so coldly about how how he killed them and then what he did with them, uh, just you could hear a pin drop. It was just gasps. I remember hearing someone had a, a gasp of, you know, and there was lots, obviously lots of holy swearing, <laughs> I won't say. 
Um, but yeah, I remember some of the old bosses, or not the old bosses, but the bosses that have been there for a long time. It had seen so many gruesome homicides and heard about so many things. They were just floored as well. They just were shaking their heads. Yeah, I remember. Do you remember Luch Luch Rovers? And uh, he came in, and there was um, somebody sitting next to me, and. He put his hand, he was standing behind us all, and he put his hand on another detective's shoulder just to sort of say, you know, how you doing? And I'll never forget thinking, God, I hope he doesn't do that to me because I would have absolutely lost it. Yeah. <sighs> Remember the toilet scene? Yes. I think that might have been just before the toilet scene when I looked over at you and you were just shaking your head, don't don't look at me, <laughs> don't look at me because yeah. I reckon I'd already started. I just um, – so, yeah, we – I think we RV'd in the um, ladies' loo and, yeah, just started oh, – I remember I just could not fathom what, it, what we were hearing and I think we were a little bit, you know, trying to be that – strong, tough detective, but once we're in the, you know, the privacy of the female's toilet, <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, just let loose. And I can yeah. remember putting my head in my hands, or the two of us, putting our head in my ha- our hands and just like, oh, my God, like I, I knew that um, what he'd done must have been bad, but I just, um, hearing him speak and tell Rocky and Kino with no emotion whatsoever about, um, you know, remember the spear guns and how he took them out and put them back in and, oh, I just, it was just, um, I, I just, I could hardly bear it. The fact that, you know, I, oh, I put a towel over their head because I couldn't bear to look at them. I just thought, and then I just, it made me, angry I was so angry and then he was just talking as if um, when he was talking about chainsaw Anna's body up I mean and was just talking about it with an everyday occurrence like he's been out in the wood yard and just cut a bit of you are a monster Mm, yeah yeah he was yeah yeah you're right and then yeah and then as if that's not bad enough then there's the tip search oh my god Oh yeah, I think we I think we covered yeah. the tip search before, but oh, that was bad. I yeah, I think um, it was. Yeah, I remember the first. I mean, again, it was a media frenzy. But I think by this stage, obviously, it, it had been released that um, the bodies had been disposed at, at the site. So it was a media frenzy again, and um, we're all very positive. You know, we had our shiny new protective suits and goggles and masks and, um, you know, and rakes and shovels and, and so much planning gone into this, yeah. this site. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, it was all very, you know, oh, off we go, hi-ho, hi-ho, off to work we go sort of thing. And then, oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was well, so cold. I remember it was the depths of winter. It was so – but the wind, the wind was so icy and um, I remember I, I kept layering up. I kept putting layer on layer because I was so cold and in the end I had that many layers on and it was such an ordeal to go to the loo that I actually stopped drinking So I, because I didn't want to have to go to the loo um, because when you when you – had to go to the loo. You had to take everything off. And remember, we had to wash our – you had to go up to the top of the site and take all your suits off, protective gear off, and then wash your boots and um, – yeah, but it was just uh, – but it was that roller coaster feeling of when you see like a – because we, we'd been given so much detail by Sharp about, you know, how he – we I mean, buried – buried – oh, sorry – um put them in a – there was a couple of blue sports bags and blue tarps. Um, so every time, you know, you saw something blue, your heart would skip a beat and then the bucket of the bulldozer would sort of, you know, carefully place all the shit, <laughs> you know, all the refuge on the ground and then we had to sort of search through it and then – and you get your hopes up when you saw a blue tarp or a blue bag and then you'd open it up thinking, yep, this is it. And then it was just full of nappies or something very smelly and then 
you know, you go back to, oh, and then the next bucket load, you go, oh, this is it. This is going to be it. So, um, but, yeah, so I think that's why it was so monumental, the day that you found Anna and um, I can remember exactly where I was standing because I was actually, I had a very important role that day, Narelle. I was safety officer. Um, oh, I don't remember anything about that day other than five so hours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, I had I had the uh, reflective vest on that day because of all the asbestos and everything. But we had because it, remember it was so noisy. It was all the couldn't hear or the wind, but the bull. No, you couldn't. So we had this um, sort of plan that the safety officer would be stand next to the bulldozer so that the bulldozer driver would be in sight of them, and then the safety officer could see. If, we needed, if he needed to stop sort of digging or um, – and then – and if there was any asbestos, then the asbestos people had to come in and hose it all down and everything. But oh, that's So right. I was up the top of the – so it was a big pit, I suppose. We were working in pits and so I was up, up the top near the bulldozer driver and um, the signal came to stop um, – but all I looked down, all I could see was you jumping up and down. You were jumping up and down, waving your arms about, and um, and I signalled to the driver to stop. Um, and then I noticed that everyone sort of had congregated around you, and you were pointing to something, and you know everyone's heads were nodding, and and all the shovels and the rakes were sort of thrown out, you know, put down and so I knew it wasn't a false alarm. I just thought there's something there and because of, but because I was on top of the pit, I, it took me a while to sort of scurry down. I think I actually remember falling down and slipping a couple of times because I was so eager to get there but when I finally got there, you were just, um, yeah, you yeah, you were beside yourself um, and I – I remember I couldn't see what you were. Everyone was pointing at. I just couldn't see it. And I remember you, you took me in and showed me, and you said, "See," and pointed out the and what looked like a kitchen glove. It was just like a kitchen glove. And right. I, I just remember thinking, "How the hell did you pick that up?" Because I just reckon I wouldn't have. It was just, um, yeah, it was just unbelievable. I think you you were just meant to find Anna that day. It was just, you know, Kira, funny, then, funny you say that. But but uh, this will sound really bizarre. But I was that determined that day, or not that day, I was just determined to find them and I thought that I would. I don't know how you can how I can say that, but I actually thought I would find either her or little Gracie. I don't know what it was, a sixteenth, mm-hmm. whatever you call it. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, uh, and then, and then uh, I rang. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to ring Rocky. <laughs> yeah, because Rocky wasn't at the site that day. We had to obviously roster people on and off and that sort of thing. But he wasn't there that day. But yeah, I remember you. Um, but we had to take the masks off to talk. So um, I remember we were standing there and we were waiting for crime scene to come down. And um, and because it was so windy and. Um, yeah, it was hard to make a phone call. It was hard to get a signal, I think. But yeah, you rang him, um, and and I, I don't think Rocky could hear you because all you were saying, "I found her, Rocky. I found her. I found Anna," and you were screaming it. But because of the wind and everything, and um, I just I could hear him on the other side going, "What? Yeah, what the?" So <laughs> I remember I had to take the phone from you and actually interpret because <laughs> <laughs> I was just overcome. You were so. Yeah. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Um and yeah, he was and obviously, um, yeah, it was just we knew from that day that we were we were getting close. So um to I mean and it was only it wasn't all of Anna, unfortunately. Um there was still because he chopped her up with a chainsaw, so um but, yeah, we obviously knew that we were getting – if we'd found some of Anna, well, Gracie was around there some too, somewhere as well. So, yeah, so the, the search continued because I think that morning they were considering calling it quits. So, um, and I think, yeah, a couple of days later, um, I think was the morning that I had 
a massive meltdown at home. I, I was just, I think, I mean, we'd been going probably two weeks by this stage and I was just, Oh, so exhausted. I just could not pull myself out of bed when the alarm went off. I just, I just didn't have any energy. I was, you know, just drained. Um, and I just kept, um, trying to. I just, you know, I was saying I can't go. I just can't go. And this is to Paul, and he, and I got frustrated with him because he says, "Well, don't go then." And I go, "No, you don't understand. I have to go." He goes, no, you don't. If you if you're not feeling up to it, don't go. And I said, no, I have to go. And and I tried to justify it by saying that I had the car, so I had to pick up two other members on the way. And uh, you know, I didn't want to be that person that put their hand up to say oh, I wasn't coping. I did not want to be that person. And so, yeah, somehow I don't know how to this day how I actually mustered the courage to get back in the, you know, those. Oh, all the old clothes we had to wear underneath the layers and then somehow I got there and but I'm glad I did because that day we found so Ben and Fish found the other part of Anna's torso and yeah so that's um yeah I'm sort of glad I, I did that day but that day it was quite a late day because I did the escort to the morgue and one of the things that I'll never forget was that um, I walked into that back office at the morgue and um, and they said, oh, my God, you stink. <laughs> and I hadn't noticed. Apparently I, yeah, I had not noticed. But I just, yeah, they were like walking backwards trying to get away from me because I stunk. And then when I got home, Paul said the same thing. He's just like, oh, my God. And you could smell it in the car. And, yeah, so I ended up I ended up burning my clothes that day. I just – that was the only way we could get rid of the smell. And, you know, it was just all the smells that you came across. But, yeah, that particular day, oh, yeah. Oh, and then, no, they – yeah, and we um, – I think we ended up oh, burning the clothes or throwing them out or something. Oh, they were putrid. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and then sometimes I get a bit of a sniff of the same sort of smells. You know, whenever I go to the transfer station here, I just—it's funny. Every time I go there, I think of that. Not that not just the smell, but the fact that when I'm putting something in one of those bins at the transfer station, it always takes me back. How could someone put a body in there? Just throw a body in? I just. Yeah, I, every time I go to a bin like that, I just think yeah, it brings me back to how the hell could you do that? I just, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, there's some smells that, you know, you just never forget and, yeah, so especially the nappies. I, mean, I don't know how many disposable nappies we found. Oh, my Lord. And Too because many. we had Too to many. look at every bag. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yep. And even though we had masks on, yeah. Those bloody masks. I mean, people are complaining about wearing masks those these days. Oh my god. They I just those masks were suffocating. They were They were they terrible. That, you know, those yeah. filter things on it. But what there was two types and I remember the first type was I ended up ditching them because I just felt I couldn't breathe, but they had those sort of two filters on each, one on each side, and they kept filling up with my own saliva. It was disgusting. It was just, and I was swimming in my own saliva sort of thing, and um, I kept having to take it off and empty it, and yeah, just uh, every couple of minutes you'd have to empty it, and I thought, yeah, so I ended up going with another mask. So I'm certainly not complaining about wearing the mask we have to these days, that's for sure. Uh, no, um, it's nothing compared to that, is it? But, um, look, I think we might finish on that, Kira. It's um, been fascinating and, yeah, incredible, as you say, to think somebody can do that to his own family. But, um, look, what I'd like to do is finish up now and uh, but I'd like you to come back if you could. And uh, talk about a, a case, we'll do a case study, which won you the salubrious title of policewoman uh, or police person of the year in 2002. Um, is there a brief sentence that you could uh, tell the listeners so that they get a bit of a, an idea of what uh, you won that award for? 
Oh, well, a brief sentence. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting one. So it was an old cold case um, where a woman slowly poisoned her husband uh, with arsenic, and so it was an excruciating, painful death. And but it stumped all the doctors, and um, then until some mislaid results of hair and nail samples reappeared, but it was too late. It was the day before he died. Um, so she was charged with his murder, but at inquest it was um, found to be insufficient evidence. So the case, uh, the charge was dropped, and then. 15 years later, the case was reopened when, um, yeah, it came across um, my desk. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. It was, um, yeah, had all sorts of bits and pieces to it. But, yeah, so, you know, I'd be happy to have a chat about that because that's a success story, successful one, yes. whereas a lot of the others are still unsolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, you're right. So we might, uh, we'll get you back to give us a case study on that. But, um, look, thank you for so much for your time today. Um, I hope, I have no doubt that that's given people a bit more of an insight as to, um, you know, it's a tough job at times, a job we love, but um, it, we're like anybody, it, you know, they affect us as, you know, as is clear today. But thanks for your time, Kira, and um, we'll look forward to uh, your next instalment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks for the chat. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 